Picture this. It's December 2011, a busy Friday morning in Mumbai, India. Traffic is congested because the traffic light is dead. You're driving to work on your motorbike, going about your normal everyday life. And suddenly a truck comes flying towards you and crashes into you, shattering your leg. You're surrounded by people, but no one knows how to respond or what to do. Hours tick by as you lose more and more blood. You desperately want to live, but right now, nobody's taking charge. So you give people your cell phone and you give instructions. Finally, emergency services arrive and you're transported to a local hospital. But by the time treatment begins, too much time has already passed. One thing leads to another and you learn that your leg has to be amputated. Normal life as you know it is flipped on its head. This is the story of Manasi Joshi, India's current para-badminton world champion. My name is Manasi Joshi. I've been para-badminton last five years. And I've won the gold medal para-badminton world championship in 2019. My mother tongue is Gujarati. I, I speak uh, Hindi and I also speak other languages and of course English is my second language or the third language. I'm a software engineer. The projects that I have done in my company, you know, like I've worked in rail retail. If you go to UK and you buy tickets, I was one of the software engineer designing the rail UK project. Uh, you know, I used to work in cloud computing and I left everything to pursue sports. So I think not many people are aware that, you know, I left a very high, very fulfilling professional career to pursue sports. I've been playing the sport since uh, five years now internationally. Last year, I became a world champion in para-badminton world championship in Switzerland, Basel in my uh, category. And I'm currently on the road to Tokyo 2020, which is happening next year. And I'm excited. <laughs> Manasi's been playing badminton since a very young age. In fact, some of her earliest memories center on playing badminton with her dad. I have been playing the sport with my father. I just had one racket in my house and uh, a shuttle. So I was around maybe six and my father used to throw the shuttle towards me and I with the racket would just try to hit it in any direction. So I think that is the first memory I have. For many of us here in the US, we might think of badminton as the game that gets pulled out at backyard barbecues when we're on the beach with friends. But in many parts of the world, it's a seriously competitive and extremely popular sport across genders and abilities, something that's definitely not the case for all sports. When it comes to gender equality, we've got to, to give every child a chance to play badminton for life. When you watch a badminton match on, on, on TV, it looks incredibly easy it, it, until you get on the, the court and realize that those guys that are, you know, kind of going corner to corner in, in a couple of steps or these women that are incredibly flexible and fast, that they make it look easy. This is Sharon Springer, Senior Education Manager, Badminton World Federation. Yep, there's a Badminton World Federation and it's a big deal. Badminton does have a lot of equality. For example, the court is the same, equipment is the same, the point system is the same. Whereas, you know, in other sports, the, there may be a different race course or different equipment that's used. Uh, so, so everything is 
is the same for men and women. Prize money has been the same for a very long time. And that's, that's something that we're very proud of. And for Manasi, after her accident, badminton was an integral part of her rehab process. She had to relearn activities that have become second nature to so many of us. Walking, going up and down stairs, and playing her sport. But with a prosthetic leg. Even when I was in the hospital and I was undergoing physiotherapy, I would tell my physiotherapist that I want to get back and get back onto my court as soon as possible. I knew what damage was done, but then I also was in high spirits because I had badminton. So once uh, I was home, after my injury got healed uh, and I started my rehab process, I started playing badminton with my brother, who's himself a badminton player. So we would go to the courts and play together. Badminton as a sport, it helped me to, you know, balance myself, improve my gait pattern and also work on my hand-eye coordination, which is very important in the initial days of physical rehab. Manasi is on her way to the Paralympics for badminton, an incredible accomplishment and testament to her tremendous courage and determination. In my conversations with her, I began to see the vibrant and positive person that she is. She shared with me how in the hospital, she had an amazing support system, friends, family, and coworkers who constantly cared for her and never left her side. She even won over the affections of the hospital staff and was sad to part ways with them because of the great relationships they had established. But one essential part of her journey, aside from badminton, has been her relationship with her sister, Nupur. We've always known that Mansi is this determined and uh, strong-headed and brave that she is. This is something we've already, we all knew, but this accident probably showed it to the world what she is or who she is. It's amazing, you know, I, 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 I saw her walk again. The things my parents would have felt, probably when we walked for the first time, I could feel the same when I saw my sister walk again. She learned, relearned running in 2015. So 2011, December, she met with the accident. December 2015, she was taught to run again because you, you tend to forget. She hadn't run for a very long time. And I was there when, when this happened. It's one of the best moments of my life. She was away from home, she was at this camp. Uh, where she was taught how to run again and on the last day they had called all the family members so it was amazing i was standing on the other side of the finish line with my hands you know uh, in front of me and once he was coming from the other side running so it was really overwhelming <laughs> oh that is so beautiful now you're gonna make me cry oh my god <laughs> wow it was amazing we've cherished each step it doesn't matter to her much about you know how people are looking at her or things like that. She's very uh, comfortable with her identity, who she is. And uh, at home, she's the same person that she was before the accident for me. She's not like, you know, it's not a new Mansi that I come across. So she's the same person. How things have changed outside? Well, people have some stereotype around disability, which, which we are working towards breaking. And the first step towards it is something that uh, Mansi has taught me. You don't need to fight it. You need to accept that, you know, this is my reality. And the minute you will accept it, it will be very easy to, you know, then change because you don't have to always fight.
Manasi is certainly an example of someone who has accepted her disability and doesn't let it stop her from living her life to the absolute fullest. But there are still many barriers to those with disabilities. Things that many of us, myself totally included, don't think about on a day-to-day basis. I have experienced both the kind of barriers, I'll say physical barriers and social barriers. Physically, you know, infrastructure, roads, accessibility, places which are not accessible. I have to climb stairs, there are not lifts available or, you know, stations which are very crowded and which only have steps. Socially, also I have seen many barriers like, you know, people stereotype people with disabilities or women with disabilities and uh, it is sometimes you have to work hard to you know uh, change those stereotypes. How do you think about ability and disability? Do you use those words? I've talked to disabled athletes who don't like saying that they're disabled. How do you think about it? I think I don't mind calling myself as a person with disability because definitely disability is my identity, but I have more identities. I am an engineer, I'm a software developer. I am changing perceptions of disability in my country. Manasi mentioned others' perceptions of disability. Both sisters have talked about disability stereotypes, and there are certainly no shortages of them. Can they manage on their own? Can they even live alone? They should just stay at home and ask someone for help. These people should be pitied. They can't live a productive or fulfilling life. They're all in constant pain. Stereotypes can drastically alter lives, particularly when it comes to getting a job. The rate of unemployment for disabled people in the U.S. is around 70%. When you see that number, it's hard to deny that stereotypes in the job force exist. That said, there are things we can each do to change these perceptions. And some of it simply starts with education. Growing up, the culture was, if you were a child and you saw someone with a disability, your parents would tell you, don't stare, don't ask, don't talk to them. And and that culture has continued on to the point that, you know, people have, continue to feel awkward and uncomfortable. This is Ariella Barker, an attorney and communications specialist who has provided legal counsel, policy guidance, and communications expertise for over 15 years. She's incredibly knowledgeable about the state of the disabled community, some of the common challenges they face, and what we can all do as citizens to be better advocates for people with disabilities. Ariella was diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy at the age of three, and lost the ability to walk at 11. She was my classmate at the Harvard Kennedy School. I don't think that disabled should be a four-letter word. I kind of compare it to how a lot of times people kind of stumble over, like, how do I talk about it, particularly non-disabled people? And I find that it's kind of similar to how, particularly in a generation before now, when white people would talk about someone who was black, they would almost whisper the word black, right? Like it was like a faux pas to, to call someone black. And, and that like, that showed that there was stigma attached to describing someone with their race involved. And I, I feel that that's very similar to, you know, it, forcing person first language, because it's almost like saying that disabled is a, a four letter word. And, and it, creates and places more stigma on disability. 
The only terminology that I will say hands down don't ever use is handicapped or crippled. These kinds of words, those are off the table. My advice is always simply to ask, what what's the appropriate terminology? Particularly if you're talking to someone that has a disability and you're afraid that you're gonna use the wrong words, just simply say, what's the correct word? We're, we love when people ask. What are the biggest gaps in disability policy and why do those gaps exist? So the, ma- the major gap that I see in disability policy is this employment crisis that we have in our community, that the 80% of people with disabilities, they're not just unemployed, they're not in the workforce. They have not had a job for a very long time. And it's not because they're too disabled to work or they don't want to work. In fact, 70% or more actually want to work, but they can't get a job because stigma is so, so high. You'll notice that a lot of people, particularly with visible disabilities, are employed by the government. And that's because they have these programs that that really focus and make sure that they're hiring people with disabilities. And that's essentially what allowed me to get my first job outside out of law school and improve in life. You've talked about the intersections of disability and race and disability and gender. Are there particularly gendered issues that women with disabilities face? I think probably the the biggest issue is sexual assault. 80% of women with disabilities are sexually assaulted. And the woman or girl is intellectually disabled. They are sexually assaulted multiple times in their lifetime. And uh, while I'm not intellectually disabled, I've been sexually assaulted multiple times in my lifetime. We have a target on our back because we're so vulnerable. We are victimized more. And you know, we get the, the intersectional of discrimination. My conversation with Ariella helped me better understand more about the challenges that individuals, and particularly women with disabilities, face on a regular basis. Manasi shared another example of discrimination that she faces in India, which involves a GST, a goods and services tax on prosthetics and other assistive devices for mobility and communication for people with disabilities, such as braille printers and wheelchairs. Manasi has been very vocal about this issue on Twitter in the hopes that things can change for the better. I have always been very vocal that, you know, why should I pay taxes to walk? Why should I pay even 1% of tax to walk? It is a birthright. It is a universal right to be able to walk. And I shouldn't be paying that kind of tax. Even it's a one rupee. I don't want to pay it to my government because it's for maybe walking or maybe just sipping a cup of tea for buying a prosthetics or for 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 braille printers just be able to read i'm pretty sure that if more and more people become ally in this and we all start raising voice i think we might be able to uh, go back to a time where we we don't have to pay taxes clearly there are many uphill battles for the disabled community stigma continues to be a barrier and we haven't really even focused on accessibility. So what can we do? Ariella offers advice. I think that the only way to really solve stigma is through greater education and not just education from, 
from non-disabled people that want to advocate paternalistically for disabled people, but rather disabled people themselves to prove that we are adequate, intelligent, you know, formidable people that can do anything. And then at that point, I think stigma will, will start to be decreased. And we can all address these issues with our political leaders. We often hear these leaders debate issues of criminal justice, healthcare, gun reform, but disability is very rarely discussed. Weird, because 50% of people in the U.S. have a loved one or a friend with a disability, and 74% of likely voters either one, have a disability, or two, a loved one with a disability. We as citizens have the opportunity to advocate for all. The important thing is to to make sure that the community calls them out on that and says, why aren't you talking about, you know, the one in four adults in this country that have a disability? Why aren't you talking about the biggest minority group in this country? And Manasi has some advice for us on this as well. Educate yourself with uh, the laws and rights for people with disabilities. Then I will also say that, you know, we should advocate for disability rights because just like when we talk about rights, women's rights, we require men to be, you know, talking about it. So in disability rights, I think we require everybody else's like able-bodied population support to, you know, advocate. I think this context of what people with disabilities experience on a daily basis is helpful to understand. It's given me a greater appreciation for Manasi and the other Paralympic athletes. When we see these athletes compete, many of us are impressed because their accomplishments are ridiculously hard for able-bodied individuals, and even more so if you're blind, if you have a prosthetic limb, or if you're in a wheelchair. These athletes are some of the most determined people I've had the honor to speak with, as they don't let anything get in their way. The Paralympic Games have grown in recognition over the years and have truly come a long way in changing the way our societies think about people with disabilities. We as athletes have had this wonderful opportunity to really flip the script, to be able to change the way people think about disability. This is Candace Cable former Paralympic athlete in wheelchair racing, downhill skiing, and cross-country skiing. Candace suffered a spinal cord accident at age 21 and has since used a wheelchair for mobility. She participated in her first Paralympic Games in 1980 and finished her career in 06, earning 12 medals during that time. She's the only American athlete to win medals in both winter and summer games in the same year, 92. After 1992, the winter and summer games moved to alternating schedules. Candace competed in both games and dominated in both. I helped pioneer the sport of wheelchair racing in the late 70s and through the 80s. There was a group of us that went around and met with race directors. We created a guidelines for race directors on how to integrate a wheelchair division into a running race so that the wheelchair division wasn't competing with the runners, they were actually alongside. And this worked so well that we have a wheelchair division in pretty much every single running race in the world now. And that has been a big piece of that inclusion and equity that we're all seeking, no matter who we are. We have to really 
reflect back on the idea that the disability movement for access, inclusion, and equity is a very young movement. And we're still defining what that looks like, how we talk about it, and then how we help people understand that disability is really just a life experience we are all going to have at some point. Because if nothing else, age is going to get you. <laughs> you know, when I first started competing in the late 70s and the early 80s, marathons were something I really, really enjoyed. I loved the road race idea. I competed in, in uh, over 100 marathons, but I won 84. And that included six Boston marathons. I really saw this value of trying to flip that script of disability and athlete in the same sentence because people, non-disabled people, couldn't wrap their minds around a disabled person being an athlete. And it was one of the things that I realized helped me form what I would do later in my life and through my athletic career. And we're seeing now how we're beginning to flip that into an identity and even, you know, a culture. We're really coming up with what our culture is going to look like. I, I've, I've said this to people in the past. Um, we are a young movement. We are so young. I mean, we're not even, we really, we aren't even 50 years if we, if we think about it. It's just... We're, we're such a young movement, and, and when we think about that in the place of human rights and civil rights, we have to remember that we have a lot of stigma and bias to break down. Now, with the games being postponed until 2021, we have to wait another year to watch these amazing athletes compete. I hope you'll join me in tuning into the Paralympic Games And as we watch them, let it be a reminder of the obstacles that these men and women have had to overcome to get to where they are, the challenges they continue to face, and the stereotypes that we as a society need to confront head on. Manasi's story and positive outlook on life is contagious. And she leaves us with a timely perspective as many of us are struggling with the world these days. I was hospitalized for 45 days. And in those 45 days, I realized that, you know, it's just a phase. It's going to pass. And now if I look back, I realize that, you know, it's just a phase. So I think if we all consider pandemic as just a phase, then we are going to be better once it's over. Be connected with more people, be connected with more friends. 